You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits Podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and it has been a long time since we have met together in this amazing space. How have you been? Now, I do realize that I took months away from the show. Mostly it started because y'all were going away for the school. It was summer. Everybody was having fun. And I would notice a a dramatic drop in listenership when school had ended. And thus I said, okay, let's take the summer off. Then I continued to take time off. And let me tell you why. I began my master's. And it's very interesting now doing a College Success Habits podcast while I am currently in college, because I haven't been in college in quite some time. And for those of you who've been listening to the show for quite some time, you realize that I graduated from my bachelor's degree in 2006 and went through a long period of time trying to figure out what I was going to do with that degree. Um, I went overseas and did marketing and sales for a a Belgium-based company that was located um, in Holland, in the Netherlands, and that moved me to Singapore and Malaysia and Bahamas and Western Europe, and I did that for about nine months to a year. And then I moved back to South Florida when the economy collapsed in 2008, which I would imagine many of y'all were probably... (laughs) Uh, affected by it, yes, but young enough to not have your own finances uh, involved in that, you know, financial massacre on the stock exchange and in the entire economy at large for the world. And whenever my business went kaput, I moved to Los Angeles and took my communications degree and just started applying it to a lot of different career paths from becoming a sports writer and a sports broadcaster to doing a morning talk show. I did stand-up comedy. I did improv. um, I did red carpet interviews. Uh, I Obviously, I kept being a waiter at fancy hotels because that's what LA had to offer for financial stability. And I applied my degree in a lot of different places. And it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles that I even realized how much my degree had actually taught me, and how much I had learned at Ball State University, at Valencia College in Orlando, and ultimately at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And Ball State's in Muncie, which is about an hour north of Indianapolis. Three universities, 12 years, not a doctor. That's what I love to say on stage whenever I get up to give speeches, uh, which I do quite frequently. And well, one of the goals of this podcast had always been to turn this into me going to a lot of universities and speaking on ways to be successful in college, how to utilize your growth potential around your emotional intelligence, your mental acuity, your physical development. Has university is an amazing opportunity for you to really get inside of what I like to call creativity cocoon. You get to be in this educational bubble where everybody there is seeking something to the betterment of their lives. They go, 
they sign up for all of these courses, they go through all the financial aid, or you're getting jobs, you're doing all of these things with this idea that you'll get a degree that will open you up to opportunities in your career and in your life and where you can live that will expand upon your horizons. And even if you go back to your high school town and marry your high school sweetheart, you have still expanded your horizons as compared to just having a high school diploma or a GED or something of that nature. Now, having done all of those years outside of school, I ultimately realized that as COVID was coming, that the neuro-linguistic programming that I have been utilizing in my life. I learned it right when I got sober uh, in 2017, about three months into sobriety. I realized I wanted to understand more about the science of the mind. Why did I continue to go back to addictive substances? And why did I consistently seek out things that I thought were helping me, but actually were destroying my life? And some of y'all might have some of these issues for yourself. And after 22 years of drinking myself into obliteration, I chose sobriety, and that led me to neuro-linguistic programming, which led me into a fascination around um, addiction and around the choices we make and habits and communication. And all of these things are encompassed within neuro-linguistic programming. So I went off and became a practitioner, then a master practitioner. Ultimately, I became a trainer. Now I'm a master trainer. And I teach these invaluable tools to people just like you, whether they're students or business owners, real estate agents, moms, dads, coaches of football teams in middle school, like it doesn't matter. This stuff helps everyone. And I genuinely believed when I first got into it that my natural progression would be uh, getting into mental health counseling, which is a fancy words for being a therapist. And I really look back at the beginning of COVID as the start of my decision-making process to move forward with this. And so now here we are in the fall of 2023, and I have begun my master's. Are there parts of me that regret not having done this when COVID first hit? Certainly, because master's is a lot of work. And maybe undergrad was a lot of work too. I was just half-assing it and getting, you know, C pluses and B minuses most of the time because I just wanted to party and drink and hang out with my friends and, you know, do all that stuff. And maybe undergrad was just as difficult, but this seems really like a lot. And so I had put the show on hiatus for a short period of time. And then it became a longer period of time because of my absolute focus on the beginning of the master's degree. I'm about eight weeks in. I've already gotten an A in my first class, which I like to jokingly refer on my other podcast from sobriety to recovery, that the first class for this master's degree was just a class teaching us how to be students again, because there's a lot of people who are non-traditional students in this class. And it's through a university called Grand Canyon, located in Phoenix, Arizona. It's uh, very large, and it's got a huge online um, academic uh, enrollment, which is super awesome in the fact that they have massively developed this online portal with just a ton of resources, communication with librarians and tech support, like their ability to have somebody 
available to me anytime I have an issue is remarkable. And I'm not saying that Ball State and Valencia and University of Florida didn't offer those when I make this next statement, but I certainly didn't feel like anytime I needed assistance, it was there for me. And I went through 17 different universities and things, schools like Pepperdine and Northwestern and um, Nova Southeastern and New Hampshire. I mean, anything that was very well developed online got thrown into this mix of where am I going to go off and get my master's? Because I run a business as a keynote speaker, as an addiction recovery counselor, as a certified recovery support specialist, has a life coach, a business consultant, an author, a podcaster. I have a lot of things on my plate. I needed it to be online. I attempted to find something here at the local level in northern Alabama where I currently live in a city called Huntsville. And ultimately, Alabama A&M and University of North Alabama were just going to become too restrictive. And I'm telling you all of this stuff because there's one of the aspects of my story that you're going to mirror in your own life. Are you feeling overwhelmed by school right now? For many of us, it has been about six to eight weeks. You know, generally school starts up right after Labor Day. So we're probably looking at that fifth, sixth week. I've got some clients who are currently in school who are going through, you know, that first, second, third, fourth week jitters where all of a sudden major assignments are coming due. And they're seeking to balance four classes and a social schedule and a work schedule and the self-care schedule. And it can be a lot. And before, when I was coaching, um, let's just say the traditional students, and I've coached many people who I would fall within that traditional student realm, you know, 18 to 25. Um, I was calling upon my old memories of what I had done in school previously uh, from 1994 to 2006. Now I have a very interesting perspective since I'm getting my master's student and I'm now attempting to create time that while I knew the master's degree was going to be difficult, I'm not a dunderhead, I was not expecting it to take up 40 hours a week. And I was more thinking I could ration off about 25 hours a week for it. And I don't doubt that as I get more proficient with the user interface, which they use one called Halo. Some of you might be familiar with Blackboard um, as well. I know those are the two big ones. I'm using Halo. I've realized a proficiency and an efficiency are coming, but I'm still not quite there. And so it's been very interesting balancing my time that I'm dedicating to school because getting A's is extremely important to me. It's not something that I'm just going to willy-nilly let slide by. If you know a B or a C happens, let it happen because I put in a ton of effort and I just never quite figured out the content of that course. Don't have it happen because I decided that I was going to go off and sit around and watch television for six hours one day when an essay was due the next day. That kind of behavior not cool with me. So it has been very interesting learning how to create time for school, also managing my time around the podcasting. And I've got a couple books that are in the process of writing. I've got you know, a full slate of clients as well as speaking opportunities that come around. And so for a lot of y'all out there, you too have your own version of a busy schedule. And what I'm looking forward to doing with this show as it moves forward is 
talking y'all through what I'm experiencing with my master's degree. It's two years of classes followed by a year of uh, practicum and internship hours. So three years until I get out of this phase, right? So there's two phases. The school phase, which is two years, you know, sitting here writing essays and reading scholarly articles and talking about them on the portal. Then there's a year of practicum internship hours. And then after that, I go into my observation point where I actually would go and, and get a job within a medical uh, health clinic or addiction recovery center, somewhere where counseling slash therapy is provided. And then I would provide therapy in a an environment that allows for observation and supervision to ensure that I'm doing the job according to the way I'm supposed to be doing the job. And a lot of y'all are going to be finding yourselves in very similar situations as far as phases of what your college experience is going to be like. Yes, there's going to be each term or semester, however your school likes to label, you know, the beginning and endings of a particular set of classes. And that could just be fall and spring, and then you could go into summer, and you could just rotate it in like that. Some schools are doing shorter blocks of time per class now in order for you to get more in during a calendar year. And so however your school is breaking it down, you are going to have your school and yourself and your relationship spheres to contend with and figuring out how to balance those. And within those three spheres of school and relationships and self, you have your physical and emotional and your mental and your spiritual aspects of how are you integrating all of your pillars of your spheres into each one of your days so that you can feel uplifted, so that you can feel like you're moving the needle forward in your academic experiences, and at the same time, not leaving your relationships or yourself, you know, sitting outside in the cold. And conversely, you could also be putting a ton of time into yourself and parting yourself to to death, or you could be spending a ton of time in your social circle and not integrating your academic criteria to an effective situation for maintaining a GPA that you have decided you would like to attain. And I say all of this stuff, and remember, remember, if if you're new to the show because you came across me and you saw that there's a huge gap in between episodes and now you're listening to me rattle on about a master's degree and trying to figure out what the hell this show is going to be about, one, I'll close up on that in a moment, but two, when we talk about the spirituality pillar, it doesn't necessarily reference religion. It just references your morals, your ethics, your values, your opinions, your beliefs, your standards of your habits, your principles, the guidelines for which you conduct yourself in the world at large. Everything that's religious is spiritual, but not everything that's spiritual is religious. And in this show, when I frame spirituality, yes, you will hear it sound a, a smidge bit like religion, but that's because the religions at their foundational core have sought to teach morals, ethics, and values. They help you form your beliefs. They help you form your opinions. The kinds of habits that you find yourself repeating day in and day out, these are if you are religious, there's the potentiality that they are heavily influenced by the book of your choice. And so when I do say spirituality, realize that I'm not attempting to put any kind of religion upon you. That's not the purpose of this show. Other people do those shows. That's not what we're doing here. We're simply asking you to check yourself. Are your morals, your ethics, your values, your opinions, your beliefs, your standards of habits, your principles, is the way you carry your, yourself 
is the way that you carry yourself around the world, is it congruent with how you'd actually like to be? Certainly, I look back at my college years, and being a straight-A student in high school and seventh in my class when I graduated, and then all of a sudden becoming an alcoholic and a a drug addict in college was not what I thought my path was going to be, but it is what it became. And when I launched the From Sobriety to Recovery podcast, I did that about five months before I launched this one, because I wanted to help the people currently in uh, active addiction seek a way out to get themselves sober, to get themselves into recovery, and to be able to really start getting their life on track in a way that addictive substances just don't allow. Launching this show was specific to help those of y'all out there not need an episode or two or 230 of From Sobriety to Recovery. I looked back and noticed that my addictive behaviors began at eight years old, and it was only a matter of time before a substance was introduced to me, and I latched onto that for emotional support and stability. And what was my medicine at 18 became my poison at 21, and it's just never stopped. In fact, I'm pretty sure it became my poison almost immediately, but I just loved the way that it felt. And the college environment is the perfect place for addiction to get its roots in and really become stronger and just become a part of who you are. I say that the easiest social circle to join is the addiction one and that the easiest place for an addict to hide is in college. And those two things working seamlessly together create a very addictive environment. And it's going to be very important, crucial, vital that you are monitoring your behaviors, your habits, to just check yourself each and every day, is what I'm doing conducive with the goals that I have set for myself? Because I was supposed to be an ESPN sports broadcaster. I wanted to be the next Bob Costas and Al Michaels. And I'm while I can sit here and woe is me and pity and cry and be pissed off that I'm not all those things that I wanted to be back when I was 18, now here at 47, I can also realize that, you know, I had my chances to take my shot. And I chose to sit in a bar and take shots there rather than leave the confines of that comfy little place and go out into the real world and shoot my shot and perhaps, you know, get blocked by Dikembe another 30, 40 times, but eventually succeed. And I wanted to, at the onset of this show, introduce you to emotional intelligence, habits that you could begin to assimilate into your life. I wanted to talk to you about coping skills, about how your brain works, about how you can begin to establish your morals, ethics, values, opinions, beliefs, principles, all of that jazz for yourself. Because for you traditional students, who were perhaps raised in a more of a traditional household, and that would just be one with a parent, some level of stability. We're not trying to you know go back and you know pull out that 1957 Norman Rockwell painting of a, what a family is, because there's so many differences in what a modern family can be like nowadays. But when I say quote unquote normal family, it's just one where there was a relative amount of stability where you went to high school, you graduated from high school, and you went on into the college world. And for a substantial amount of you traditional students, your morals, ethics, values, opinions, beliefs, all were, I'm not going to say predetermined by your primary caregiver, but certainly heavily 
influenced by them. And as you began to have this behavior, these these opinions, values, beliefs, this level of spirituality, uh, you know, not even necessarily pressed upon you, but introduced to you, you began to model that behavior and you began to match it and you began to assimilate into it in order to continue feeling like you were part of the family dynamic. And it wasn't until we started going through our hormonal shifts through puberty that we began to feel this desire to rebel, to revolt against the standard norm that we had been shown. And we all have that little bit of rebellion in us. When you go into college, you finally have an opportunity to really start to establish who you are. Who do you want to be? How do you want to begin to maneuver through this world as your own independent person? And dependence and independence, there's there's such a fluidity between those two words now that wasn't there in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, because our society has changed so much since the end of World War II. 1945, defeating the Nazis, you know, save the planet from that. And that's why you see a lot of people say modern times began in 1945, because the amount of industrial revolution that was necessary in order to defeat the Third Reich and the axis of evil was so humongous and so much that we jettisoned ourselves through what would have taken decades for society to evolve and build and establish. We did it in a five to seven year period. And so we come into this modern times in the 1945s and all of a sudden there's a tremendous amount of wealth in the United States, a a tremendous amount of stability that was not there pre-World War II. Coming out of 1920, you know, you had, of course, the roaring 20s, but there was prohibition. Then the economy collapsed when the stock market took a dive in 1929. And there was a lot of poverty and there was a lot of suffering in the United States. And we forget that that's where we were before we got into World War II. So 1945 comes about, everybody comes back, the baby boomer generation has their thing. And next thing you know, we're into the 60s and the 70s and it's counterculture and it's pushing against the establishment. Establishment. We get into the 80s and 90s where, you know, sort of like this bubblegum pop world coming out of the 60s and 70s counter movement was, you know, that's where you see the Madonnas and all these little pop stars come up and the cocaine gets introduced into the system and crack gets introduced into our system. And next thing you know, here comes the 90s and that's the grunge and that's just sort of the Nirvana, Pearl Jam, angry at the world kind of mentality. And then before you know it, here's 2001 and we're having airplanes flown into two of our biggest skyscrapers in the United States. And so that was a very quick, rapid fly through 50 very prominent years and important years of this country establishing itself as the dominant superpower And in that kind of quick growth, there are going to be a lot of things that we're not going to get right. And you see this pressure upon society right now to integrate everybody regardless of differences and to try to figure out how we're going to be together, but also have our own little safe spaces. And we're trying to figure out the right words to say to some people and 
they change every day. So one day you think you're saying something right, and the next day you're getting canceled because you didn't get the memo that this word was no longer being used because, you know what, I don't have that alert set up in my Google. And it's such an amazing time to be alive and watch this world of ours have such rapid changes. And I cannot begin to press upon you enough the importance of having some levity and some love and some empathy towards other people who may or may not look like you, may or may not sound like you, may or may not talk like you, may or may not dress like you. They could look damn near like a replica of you or look nothing at all like you, but they are going to have had their own experiences and they're going to have their own way of discussing things that may not feel great to you when you first hear them. But part of the process of growing up and getting mature and really stepping into that adulting level is realizing that sometimes people just say things and they're not necessarily trying to be nefarious. It's just the way that they say them. And having lived in Los Angeles and been, you know, into the Watts area, into Compton, into that zone, I've had friends there. I've dropped them off after improv class. And yeah, that wasn't where I was raised. I have no idea what it must be like to wake up in Compton day in and day out when I was raised on a tiny family farm in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, or on the beaches of Florida. Obviously, we're going to have different perspectives on the world. But yet, I was able to be friends with them. And they didn't take offense whenever I said a word that well, you know, maybe wasn't the way that they would have preferred to have been said. And they didn't get upset with me whenever I would ask questions, just try to be curious about who they were, any more than I'd get upset if they used words that I wasn't necessarily cool with. Or they asked questions that I just assumed everybody knew. And when you're in college, you have this opportunity to finally expand yourself beyond whatever town you were in. Whether it was a small town in Indiana or whether it was the inner city of one of our major metropolitan areas, you are more than likely going to come across people that you just didn't know existed with attitudes and opinions and behaviors that you might not think are the way people should go about life. You might think that it's completely absurd, but when you can stop in those moments and realize that that person is completely different than you and ask yourself, what assumptions what can what presuppositions, what things might have happened in this person's life that have created this version of a human being currently standing in front of me? Because I truly believe that every human is born a blank slate, that maybe 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% might have some sort of inherently evil nature about them. But I absolutely believe that 99.9999% are born a blank slate and their environment and their social circle, and their family history, and all of these things begin to create a person. And so much of this is done at a young age, we have no clue, no clue how much is being impressed and implanted upon us. And then we get older, and we start figuring out ways to be more inclusive into our environments. We start making friends, and they begin to integrate their belief systems into ours. And next thing you know, we are who we are. And I don't like labeling somebody right or wrong simply because I don't understand them. 
yeah, I don't necessarily get every single, you know, Southerner's point of view on certain social issues any more than I understood every single urban person's point of view on their social issues. But I love sitting down and listening to differing opinions when it's done in a way where people don't feel like they have to raise their voice, get a sharp tone or yell at me. I can simply just be a person who is curious about the world around us. And yes, I am not blind to the fact that I am a tall, straight, white, American male. I call myself a T-SWAM is the acronym I came up with. And that a lot of people could view me as part of the problem, not the solution. But I'm not all those other people. I'm Jesse Mogul, just like you are who you are. And my name doesn't even define me. I am me, and you are you. And there's so much more depth to each person then can simply be quantified by my gender or my sexual orientation or the how tall I am or how much body weight I have or what kind of shirt or shoes or watch or car I drive or wear. Like that shouldn't mean nothing. I have had hundreds of thousands of dollars in my life and drove in fancy cars and I have literally been eating uh, uh, macaroni and cheese and ramen noodles for weeks on end. I have been at the height and I have been at the lows. I mean, I'm certainly not at the height of no Bill Gates and certainly not at the lows of somebody on Skid Row, but I have definitely danced in between those very two (laughs) wildly absurd (laughs) polarities. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that belongings and shit like that, that makes somebody seem like they're popular. That means nothing. I once owned 700 CDs and was one of the coolest people in my fraternity house. That crap doesn't mean nothing to nobody right now. We're so far away from those fraternity house years. I, what am I supposed to hang my hat? Hey, I once was uh, 700 CDs and everybody came to my room for the party because I had all the cool music. That's not getting me nowhere at 47. So the reason I'm saying all of this is that you're going to have a lot. You're going to have a lot of belongings. You're going to have a lot of memories. You're going to have a lot of experiences. None of those necessarily dictate how the world's going to see you in this moment right now today. You have an opportunity each and every day to establish yourself as somebody who is self-reliant and does have the ability to make their own decisions, right? We want you to feel like you are in charge of your life because you are. It's literally the only thing that you can really control is your responses to the world around you. But otherwise, you don't get to control anybody else. Nobody gets to control you unless you let them. And as we move into this new dynamic of social order and social justice issues and this political polarity that has grown and it's become more and more divisive, we have to remember that somebody else is shaking our jar. And just because they are doesn't mean that we have to go at war with the people in that jar with us. There's this thing I read on the internet not too long ago that if you put red and black ants into a jar, just all gently and nicely, they'll just live harmoniously by themselves. They'll just do their little thing, mixing and matching and just building a community. You take that jar full of red and black ants and you shake it wildly. The red and black ants will begin to fight and kill one another. And the meaning of this sort of analogy or story is that it's not the red and black ants that should be mad at each other in that moment. It's the person who shook the jar. Why was the jar shaken? And is somebody shaking the jar in order to get us to go at one another? So we're not paying attention to how they're robbing our coffers in the background, how they're eating our food out of the pantry when we're too busy yelling and screaming at one another. 
we do not want to allow those in the older generation to continue to try to instill their belief systems about how we should treat one another and how we should understand one another. Because I think we've made it perfectly good and clear that we're not really that keen on going backwards, that we're looking forwards. And when people say, well, why can't we return to the old traditional American values? I have a hard time understanding what time period they're talking about. Because as I mentioned earlier, the early 1900s were a ridiculously hard time for the average American citizen, whether it was our farms drying up in middle America or whether it was the Industrial Revolution and a lack of workers' rights um, in factories and things of that nature having even been established yet. The average American citizen wasn't living a very great life in the early 1900s. And then we came out of World War II back into a civilization that still hadn't quite figured out how to treat people equally, even though it literally says to do so in our Constitution. And yes, there was a lot of racism, and there was a lot of, of, of hate and vitriol that was gone out. And we can sit here, and we can keep re-watching that old episode of America from 1945 to, you know, shit, now, if we wanted to, or we can choose... Right, Because I almost tried to say, well, some of that stopped in the 60s and 70s. There have been opportunities for integration. But most importantly, what I think comes to me when I do research on this stuff is that a lot of the vitriol and a lot of the anger and a lot of these rules that were being established, you know, the war on drugs really being an opportunity to put black people in jail more and more frequently or Hispanics in jail more and more frequently and immigration rules and laws and the way that those are down or, you know, the welfare state and the way people talk about that. That's not the average citizen. The average citizen just wants to live their life, wake up in a safe environment, go to work, make some money so they can have fun on the weekend with their family. It's the administrations. It's the politicians. It's the talking heads on TV that have to keep filling the airwaves with something because it's a 24-hour network of just opinion-based news, and I'm using air quotes here. Those people's opinions don't have to be our opinions. I believe that it does matter about the content of somebody's character. And I am very aware of paying attention to that when I do meet new people. And understanding that the world is changing so rapidly now that somebody just may not be attuned with understanding how to communicate with me in my preferred style any more than I might be attuned at communicating with them in their attuned style. But there's an opportunity for communication every single time we walk up to somebody and we go to open our mouths. Are we listening to learn? Are we just listening to wait for our t- chance to speak next? Too often times, there's this inability to actually stop and take a level of curiosity and say, okay, this person clearly has a different definition of this thing than I do. I wonder how that was created within them. And the university experience is supposed to be one of those amazing opportunities to be integrated with just a myriad of different people. It is like the essence of the melting pot that the United States has claimed to have been since, you know, back in the day. University is supposed to be that, where we're inclusive, and we stop and we talk with one another, and we realize that, yes, we have completely different backgrounds, and we look very different, and we talk different, and we do all these things different. But at the heart of it is this opportunity to just learn about one another, 
so much of the college experience happens outside of the classroom. And we want to protect the university experience as one of those places where people can go and they can grow and they can learn and they can make mistakes and they can be forgiven and they can shift perspectives. When people come down on others for decisions they made years ago or even yesterday, and they say, well, that's just the way the person is because people don't change. So if they said that then or they did that then or they, this is what they are presenting to the world now, this is who they will always be. And there is, there is a humongous fallacy to that because people do change. It's the ones who get ostracized from the herd. It's the ones who get sent off into the shadows that begin to feel angry and they be, begin to feel manipulated and they begin to feel like they're, they don't matter anymore. And that is the worst, worst feeling, but it's also the worst thing that a society can do to somebody else who may or may not, without any previous knowledge of this person, they may or may not necessarily want to change, but they probably certainly don't want to be ostracized from the herd. And when we ostracize people, we miss an opportunity to bring them into the fold and learn more about them. If you think people don't change, it's because you're just not aware of how you're changing. But I can assure you, people change. Every single day, they're changing at university. Every single day, they're changing in their normal lives. Humans change. We do it so much, we don't even notice that it's happening. And then one day, we look in the mirror, and you know what used to be a ratty t-shirt's turned into a tie. What used to be a junker of a car is turned into something that actually runs efficiently. What's turned into an overdrafted account in college all of a sudden has multiple zeros in your 30s. There's a little bit more wrinkles and a little bit of gray hair, and we older people in our youth because we feel like they look down upon us when in fact they look at us as wishing they could somehow go back what with their current brain to the stage of life you're currently in. And whether you listen to me or other people and try to take some of this wisdom so you don't make the same mistakes, I just know that I, I watch enough news. And when I say enough, it's like 1%. I've watched so little news. I, I really only see it at the gym. But I watch enough. Enough of it pops up in front of me in my life and on my smartphone for me to realize that we're doing a whole lot of talking and very little listening. We're doing a whole lot of pointing and blaming and trying to bring up the past to somehow make today feel better for us instead of sitting down with one another and discussing ways that we can start creating a present moment that actually facilitates the future that we've all been dreaming of. The American dream may or may not be dead. I'm not ever even sure it was everybody's dream to have a white picket fence and 2.3 kids and 1.9 dogs. Like, oh, fuck, who came up with that? But I'll tell you what is every human's dream is to wake up each morning knowing that they're safe, that they've got food, they've got water, they've got shelter, they've got warmth, they've got people around them that love them and that care for them, that they've got stability in the way that they earn their money, that they've got things to look forward to on the weekends or on the weekday night or in the summer whenever we've all got a little time off. Like we thrive on stability and certainty and we live in a world full of widespread uncertainty. And if we could just all get on the same page, that we all want to, these same basic necessities in life and stop seeing the differences, the world would, it's like overnight, 
there would be an empathy that we can have towards one another instead of this yelling and canceling and all of this stuff that's coming out. And whether this first episode out of hiatus connects with you or not, I don't know, but I'm posting it. Because as I got back into university and we were all doing our introductions, I realized the widespread diversity of people from all different time zones and ethnicities and genders and orientations. It was all there in this class, all of us seeking to go out there and become clinical mental health counselors so that we could help other people figure out how to heal themselves, guide them towards the healing of their suffering and of their traumas and, you know, teaching them new ways that they could learn coping skills or add life skills to their backpack of life so that they could have a life that they could be happy with or proud of or just feel stable in. And there's something to be said for all of this humongous demographic of people all seeking the same thing but thinking that if they have success, that means somebody else has failure. Or if somebody else has success, that means that you have to have failure. That is a propagated lie by the establishment. That is not true. This planet is big enough for all of us to succeed. And when we begin to support one another and stop getting mad at the other ants with us in the jar, but instead pay attention to who's shaking the jar outside of said jar, we'll start realizing that we aren't mad at each other. We're being told to be mad at each other, and we're being told to be mad at each other so often that we forget that we aren't actually mad at anybody. I'm not mad at the random stranger in the grocery store. They have no reason to be. All right, wear whatever you want to wear. Talk however you want to talk. Be whoever you want to be. I'd prefer it didn't necessarily affect my life in a dramatic way, but you know what? Sometimes crap happens, but I don't have to hold on and, and ferment anger and animosity. I can choose in that moment to realize that we're all humans living a human experience. And we have thoughts that trigger feelings, that create actions, that give us results. And sometimes we're happy with those results. And sometimes we're pissed off about those results. But either way, they're our results. And when you take personal responsibility for your thoughts, for your feelings, and for your actions, then you're not blaming somebody else for your lot in life. You're not complaining about what you have versus what somebody else has. And you're not making excuses for why you didn't accomplish something and somebody else did. You realize that this is the world. And as much as we try to manipulate it so that every single person can feel like they just got shot out of a puppy dog's ass, you know, with rainbows and, um, uh, rose petals falling out of the sky, you know, and just a never-ending river of ice cream in front of us, we realize that's not life. Life has struggles. Life has ups and downs. Life has people who don't treat us nice sometimes. But just because that one person treated me badly doesn't mean that I'm going to allow the next 10 people that come in front of me to have those interactions influenced by that one bad person's. That's not how I'm going to live my life. And as I move this show forward, I want to talk about the college experience. I want to talk about what you have an opportunity to achieve at university level. And I want to make sure that we're being very aware that just because somebody up there, you know, in some fancy schmancy office with a mahogany desk and a, you know, a 400 year old leather chair trying to make decisions for how we should care about one another, that does not dictate how we choose to actually care for one another. That we get to make these decisions. 
and living in the past based off of what a generation did in 1970 or 1950 or 1820 or any of those others is getting us nowhere. Being angry and saying, oh, you owe me something because this happened 150 or 300 or 700 years ago, it is nothing to improve our situation now. But it absolutely creates a wall between people where humans are humans. And at some point, everybody's going to get tired of getting screamed at. And we're just going to stop listening to one another. And then we're just going to have 7 billion people on this planet all trying to make their own way by themselves. And you might get, you might get fast doing that, but you won't go far doing it. And the university experience is your opportunity to say, you know what? I choose how I behave. I choose how I think. I choose how I feel. I choose how I interact with other people. And regardless regardless of how different their demographics or their socioeconomic background is to, to mine, I get to choose how I'm going to interact with this person. Not some talking head on TV, not some politician in your state capital, and sure as hell, not somebody so far displaced from reality and normality as Washington, D.C. is, that we're going to allow those people to tell us how to treat one another. For a species that seems so hell-bent on taking control and being in control, and, and we, we put this like laser focus on what can I control, for a species that has this much focus on control, we seem very willing to hand over the control of how we treat others and talk to others and interact with others. We seem very willing to hand over that control to some pompous ass on television or some some out-of-touch politician thousands of miles away. I would love to inspire you to listen to this show with an open mind. Maybe I should have said that at the beginning. And then when it's done, go out there and treat somebody differently than you have been told to treat them. If, of course, the caveat being that you've been told to treat people who don't look like you, act like you, sound like you, in a negative, nefarious manner. If you've been taught to treat people with respect and kindness and do unto others as they would do unto you and things of that nature, then yeah, go out there and continue being that version of yourself. But I have been reading a lot about the university experience, and it sounds like it's going a little sideways. And I cannot stress upon you enough that those 60, 70, 80-year-olds out there, how little in touch with us they are. And I do say us because I was there at the beginning of the video game revolution. And I remember when the internet was first established and I got my first gateway computer to get on it. And I remember those beginning chat rooms. And I I was there for every single technological advance. I'm very adept at that. And I see how out of touch the older generations are. I mean, these people remember a time, you know, when Model Ts were still (laughs) on the roads. And we've got cars that drive themselves now. They barely understand what social media is, and yet they're making laws that dictate how that kind of stuff will interact with us. And they're not doing a very good job. Our phones were introduced to us, these smartphones, in what, right around 2010, and they are the most addictive substance on this planet, and nobody's even paying attention to the degradation it's having on our society. We get to be that voice of reason, and we want to begin to establish our own opinions and belief systems around this stuff, and stop letting 60, 70, and 80-year-olds try to tell us how to think. Because honestly, I see how they interact with their own life, and I don't want it. I don't want nothing to do with it. 
Sure, I'd like some of that stability that our bank account has, but we'll get there too, all in due time. And that's so much about how I feel about this. I have no idea why I went off on that tangent, but I think it's because now that I'm in the university system, again, I realize that it is an amazing opportunity to develop ourselves. But unfortunately, we're allowing so much of our development and our decision-making and our belief system creation to be dictated by people who are out of touch, unaware, and unapologetically just not willing to talk to the other side. Gen Z, the millennials, however they're labeling you guys now, you don't have to be any of that crap. I was a Gen Xer. I was, I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, and I was told that we were lazy, that we were unproductive, that we weren't, we didn't work very hard, that we were glued to our video game systems, that we were depressed, and we were isolationists, and we never were going to amount to shit. And now here we are crushing it. All that negative nonsense that you're hearing about yours, that's the same crap I was hearing about mine. And you know, in fact, baby boomers, they heard it about theirs too. They just seized the country and made it theirs. And when they finally leave power and Gen Xers start to step in, you millennials will be right behind us. And you have a choice. You have a choice. And it starts today and it's already been going. You don't paint end racism on a football field and expect it to end. You educate it out. You experience it out. It is your opportunity to begin to build the world the way you want to see it. And I hope that it's inclusive and it's loving and it's accepting and it's empathetic and it's understanding that other people have had a life way outside your realm of experiences, way outside your realm of understanding, but it doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them them. And if we can start seeing them and us more as a we and stop having it just be I and me, then I think that we can finally begin to actually get along. It's up to us to make that happen. Because I think it's been very obvious that previous generations aren't going to get on board with this. And the fact is, a lot of them got us into this mess to begin with. So you're going to turn to the person who got us into this crap show and ask them to figure it out? Or are we going to do it? And you're in university, and you have an opportunity to establish yourself as the leader that's in your community or at your school. What are you going to do in that leadership role? What kind of leader do you want to be? We're going to talk about that and so much more as we move forward on this show. And whether what I just said or not sticks with you and you liked it, or maybe you think I'm just completely up my own ass because I'm a T-SWAM, it is whatever it is. But I can assure you that if I was standing in front of you and we want to have a conversation about this stuff, I would do so with an open mind and an empathetic heart, as long as you didn't yell and scream at me and put a finger in my face. That's not the way people should be communicating with each other. It doesn't actually work. The older generation just tries to make us think that's the way that it works. Because as long as we are yelling and screaming at one another, we're not paying attention to the fact that they're the ones shaking the jar. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day can be the best day of our lives when we wake up and just accept ourselves as this amazing human creature that we are and then seek to do just a little bit better each and every day. As always, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.